Now, good evening uh, once again. Good to see you all back again for uh, lecture number two in 60 lectures, probably. And um, uh, those of you who, uh, who were here last week uh, have uh, already uh, tasted the kind of thing that we're going to be doing for an hour or so uh, on Wednesday evenings. Uh, and if you didn't get a folder as you came in this evening, um, that's because we are of little faith and uh, we didn't order enough. And uh, we'll, we'll try and get some more uh, for next week. Uh, this, is, uh, this is lecture number two, uh, in which we're going to look at uh, God's uh, general uh, or natural uh, revelation uh, in creation. Uh, God speaking in creation uh, to set something of a context. Uh, let's uh, read the opening verses of Psalm uh, 19, uh, one of David's Psalms. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day Today pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, so here is the psalmist declaring um, that the creation, uh, the universe, uh, the stars in the night sky, uh, the beautiful sunsets, uh, the birds uh, singing in the trees, uh, wh whatever is part of the created order. Uh, it speaks, and it speaks of a creator. It speaks of one who has made these things. Uh, if you look at page one, uh, the quotation there from Calvin. Uh, Calvin was particularly insightful uh, on uh, the doctrine of general revelation, how God speaks in creation and uh, in the Institute's uh, of the Christian religion, one of the most important texts uh, in Christendom. Uh, he has this to say, it is moreover to be observed that though they struggle with their own convictions and would fain not only banish God from their minds, but from heaven also, their stupefaction, isn't that a wonderful word? Their stupefaction is never so complete as to secure them from being occasionally dragged before the divine tribunal. Uh, it's a wonderful way of, say, of saying it. Uh, I've actually quoted from a very famous translation uh, by Henry Beveridge, uh, which, I, which I like very much. Uh, and uh, Calvin is saying, you know, every now and then, even, even those who call themselves uh, agnostics or even those who call themselves atheists, every now and then they're dragged before the divine tribunal uh, to, be, to be told in no uncertain terms, there is a God uh, and I am He, uh, even though they may deny that and even though, as we shall see in a minute, they may suppress that knowledge uh, with which they are bombarded uh, day by day and night by night. Well, this is how, uh, this is how the Westminster Confession, uh, this is the subordinate standard of uh, this particular church that we're in this evening. Uh, this is how the Westminster Confession, 1645, uh, begins. It begins with a statement uh, on 
the divine self-disclosure that God uh, discloses himself, reveals himself. Uh, And it talks about the light of nature. Uh, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. Uh, The opening sentence, in fact, of the Westminster uh, Confession uh, of Faith. Now, we have to begin, uh, this is a somewhat uh, complex uh, topic, and it actually is a topic that uh, begins somewhere else. I remember one time being in Dublin, uh, in Ireland, and uh, this was before GPSs and iPhones and and so on, and uh, when you wanted to know the way to somewhere, you had to get out of the car and go into a a gas station, and, and uh, I was trying to get to somewhere in South uh, Dublin uh, to preach at this church and couldn't find it and went to this uh, gas station and asked my way there, and he said, oh, he said, if I was trying to get there, I wouldn't start from here, which, uh, uh, which wasn't terribly uh, uh, helpful. And in a sense, uh, if I wanted to talk about uh, the doctrine of revelation, I wouldn't start from here. Uh, you really need to start in uh, a whole uh, preliminary uh, subject and, and, and topic uh, that uh, we're going to completely pass uh, by uh, this evening. Uh, the, the Bible begins uh, with these uh, very famous and uh, well-known memorable words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God um, the Bible doesn't uh, begin, as it were, with a, a course in apologetics. Uh, it doesn't begin with, you know, you must first read a couple of books by C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, before we can talk about God, or, or you, you, need, uh, you need to study the whole history of philosophy, and uh, we, need, uh, we need somehow or other to build a platform on which the idea and concept of God is uh, meaningful. It, that's not the way it begins. It begins with the assertion, the bold Uh, unapologetic uh, assertion of the being and the existence of God. Uh, John, uh, in his gospel, uh, he's been reading Genesis in his devotions when he begins to write his gospel, I think, and he echoes, of course, the beginning uh, of Genesis 1-1-1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's, of course, a reference. The Logos, the Word, is a reference to uh, Jesus Christ. But it's a deliberate echo of Genesis, the assertion of God, or in, Gen- or in John 1, 1, of God with God. And yet, as we shall see, there is only one God, but there is plurality within that one God. Uh, the Father is God, and Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Um, what the Bible is saying uh, to us, and it's saying this, of course, to believers, it's saying uh, this to those who actually read the Bible and can hear the Bible and are within sound of the Bible, um, that God is the ultimate uh, context for all of knowledge. Now, Dr. Ferguson uses big words, as you know, and uh, some of those words are Scottish words that nobody knows except uh, Dorothy and, uh, and Sinclair. Um, but uh, in, a, in a sermon recently, he, uh, he gave the title, you remember, Epistemology. 
he used this grand word epistemology in a sermon title and no one balked I thought people would, would cough and splutter and, and this congregation takes everything uh, on the chin and uh, this, is, uh, this is epistemology we're talking here about the doctrine of knowledge uh, we're talk- talking here about how do we know God but we're also talking about how do we know anything um, and uh, The ultimate question then is not for the Bible, does God exist? How do I prove the existence of God? Uh, We'll come to that in a moment. The ultimate question for Scripture is, how can God be known? God exists. The question is, how can God be known? How can I come to know God? And the answer of Scripture is twofold. There is a knowledge of God that everybody has. Yes, I mean everybody, every single person, and even, even the person who's on some remote island in our fictional imagination, uh, who has never heard of Jesus, never read the Bible, and has never been in contact with any other human being, yes, even that person knows God. He knows God from creation. He knows God from the things that are made. Um, But uh, also, in the second place, uh, God is known savingly, uh, God is known redemptively by uh, those who come uh, to hear the good news of the gospel and by the grace and power and sovereignty of God respond to the good news of uh, the gospel. Now the answer, and it's a somewhat surprising answer uh, on the face of it, that God is known, um, God is knowable because he reveals himself. If you turn uh, back uh, to the bottom uh, of page one, I've put in a a little saying, it's a very famous saying uh, whose origins are in somewhat, uh, uh, in some dispute, but it certainly is a medieval uh, saying among theologians and philosophers that the finite uh, finitum non campax infinity, the finite cannot uh, contain, uh, the, the finite cannot grasp, uh, the finite cannot comprehend, and um, the infinite. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a problem. How can a finite human being uh, come to know the infinite God? Uh, that's the great question, and it's a, it's a question that troubles not just theology, but it's a question that troubles uh, philosophy and the great philosophers, uh, Plato on, in one school, Aristotle in another, uh, have uh, been concerned with answering that question. How can a finite creature come to know uh, something that is essentially unknowable to the finite mind, namely, namely infinity itself, namely, namely God himself? And uh, the, the astonishing, from one level, uh, answer of the Bible is that the finite man, human, be- human beings, not only can come to know God, but that they actually do know God. God reveals himself. God discloses himself. God pulls back the curtains and unveils himself. He shows us a little of Himself, And in one sense, and in one very special but limited sense, God does that to every single human being. So we're, we're, on, the, we're on the boundary here of 
something that belongs perhaps in a history of philosophy course and something that belongs in what we might call prolegomena, the sort of starting blocks to theology, but I I want to get beyond that. Uh, we're, We're talking about a theory of knowledge. We're talking about epistemology. Um, and we're talking about how do we, how can we come to know, not just anything, but how can we come to know God? Now, there's, a, there's an enormous uh, um, elephant in the room, uh, and that elephant in the room is the Enlightenment. Um, the 19th and 20th and 21st centuries uh, is in many ways a footnote to uh, the Enlightenment, uh, and, and one particular individual uh, comes to the surface, uh, and that's Immanuel Kant. Uh, some of you have to go back to your, to your college days and school days and uh, um, history of philosophy courses on uh, Immanuel Kant and the critique of uh, pure reason and the critique of practical uh, reason, and it gave you a headache uh, and you were just glad that uh, the course was over and you could move on to other things. Um, but one of the things that the Enlightenment uh, established and modernity and postmodernity are responses to the Enlightenment um, is that, that if God exists, and, and Immanuel Kant didn't, didn't in fact doubt the existence of God, um, it was just irrelevant for Immanuel Kant because if God exists, he cannot be known. Uh, and uh, because God is, uh, is, is a thing in himself, uh, to use his technical language, uh, and things in themselves, um, pure ideas, if you like, uh, cannot be known. And some of you will remember um, from your philosophy days um, that, the, that the noumena cannot uh, perforate uh, into the realm of the phenomena. That's... Uh, that's a gross simplification of uh, Immanuel Kant. But uh, it all boils down to the issue that, um, that God cannot be known. And the Bible, the Bible flat out contradicts that. Uh, the, the Bible says the very opposite. God exists and God is infinite. And in a sense, he cannot be fully known. The finite cannot fully know the infinite. But he can be known because he reveals himself. He discloses himself. Now, Calvin said he discloses himself using, using baby talk. Yes, that was Calvin's language. Um, he accommodates, that was the term that he implied over and over and over. God accommodates himself um, to, and, and speaks, you know, just like you speak to a little uh, a two-year-old, you know, uh, and you get down perhaps on your hunkers and, and you begin to change your tone of voice and you, and you talk like to a two-year-old. And uh, when, my, when my three-year-old uh, in New Zealand comes on uh, FaceTime uh, almost every evening, um, you know, he talks in a language all of his own. Uh, and you have to get into that uh, language. If you're going to communicate with him, you have to get down to his thought forms and his language. And that's what uh, God does. Now, God reveals himself. Uh, and I've given you on the top of page three a, a little summary. And uh, uh, f- follow with me uh, fairly quickly as we go through this. Uh, what, is, what, is the, uh, 
What is the justification that we can know God? Uh, One, building block number one is that God reveals himself. Building block number two is that we are made after his image. Uh, and after his likeness, Genesis 1.26. So we have the capacity to understand him. We have the capacity to know him because we were made in his likeness. And, and the third building block is the incarnation of Jesus. God is manifest in the flesh. So that when you, when you see Jesus and hear Jesus and encounter Jesus in space and time and you hear the words of Jesus, you are at the same time hearing the words of Almighty God. God is speaking in space and time in human words and through a human being. Uh, And then uh, building block number four is that those words, that revelation gets uh, inscripturated into the scriptures. And that will be what we'll be looking at next week. Uh, And eventually, by the Holy Spirit, the words of scripture are taught us. And and, uh, those words are illuminated by the Holy Spirit so that we can come to an understanding of the very mind and the very being of God albeit in accommodated form. Now, that was fire hydrant stuff um, uh, that would probably last an entire three-hour course, uh, which I've summarized. But we we need that building block in order to to get to the character of uh, Revelation. Now, there are three words, uh, New Testament words in particular, that are particularly important. Uh, One is the word apocalypse. Um, which means an unveiling. God unveils himself. So imagine, imagine a painting or a statue that has a veil on it, and you take the veil away to reveal uh, the statue or the painting. And the New Testament uses the word uh, apocalypse or apocalypto, the verb. Uh, epiphany is another word, uh, meaning an appearance. And phanerosis is another word, meaning an open uh, manifestation. So there are some technical words uh, that are translated into our English uh, New Testaments, but these technical words are words of revelation. Uh, they are things that uh, if God had not revealed them, we would not know. Uh, so God, re- God manifests himself. He, he does that openly. He unveils uh, his being. And because human beings are finite and God is infinite, we, we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. God must unveil himself to us. Now, that uh, says to us, you know, that one of the, one of the things uh, that uh, we, we ought to have, I think, is a sense of wonder, uh, a sense of awe, a sense of delight, uh, a sense of astonishment, how Great thou art. We've just been singing that. And the, the, the almost childlike sense of astonishment. God has unveiled himself to puny little creatures like us. So what is revelation? Uh, revelation, not the book of Revelation now, but, but the idea of revealing, God revealing himself. And the biblical idea of revelation is God um, telling us a, a little about himself. Yes, I want to put it that way, although 
when you think about the Bible and when you think about the universe and, and all that God has revealed, it, it, it's a whole lot. It's more than can occupy a, a two-year course in systematic theology here at uh, First Presbyterian uh, Church. Um, but actually, in, in, in comparison to what God knows... God knows everything, and he knows everything exhaustively, and he knows everything all at once. Now, I can say that. I don't really understand what it is I'm saying, right? But I can, I can say that. But in comparison to that, what God reveals to us is just a little. So Revelation is not exhaustive. And it's not exhaustive in space and time. It's not exhaustive in your lifetime. Uh, and, and, and neither will it be exhaustive in heaven. I know that people say, because they pick up uh, a, a statement from John 13, uh, you don't understand what I do now, but you will understand hereafter. And, and I hear that sometimes uh, cited as justification that when you get to heaven, you'll understand everything. Uh, but actually, that's n- not necessarily the case. Providence will still be a wonder to me in heaven as it is here. It's just that I will accept it. I will accept it with absolute peace. Uh, and uh, there are things, uh, the secret things belong unto the Lord, and those things which are revealed belong unto, unto uh, us and to our children. Deuteronomy 29, 29, which I should have had in here somewhere, so write that down. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is an important uh, text. But that's as true in heaven as it is here. So Revelation... Um, When we think of God revealing himself, when we think of God unveiling himself, showing us a little of himself, we're thinking of that along two lines of thought here. One, he reveals himself to us as creatures, right, as human beings, as finite human beings. And the issue there is one of dependency and finitude. We are... We are small. We, we, we only have, I don't know how big your hard drive of your brain is, how many gigabytes it can contain, but it's finite. Some of you more than others, to be sure, uh, or some of you less than others, to be sure, but everybody in here has an enormous hard drive. That's why you're here. Uh, but you understand that's one of the lessons of the book of, of Job, the ending, the, the, the peculiar ending of the book of Job, where Job's questions are not answered. Job lays his hand upon his mouth. He, he learns the lesson that he has no right to know certain things. It's not a right. It's not an entitlement that he know. What's important is that God knows and understands. So there's the issue of our finitude, but there's also a second issue, and that is the revelation of God to sinners. Um, because at stake there is not just our finitude. At stake there is the issue of receptivity. Because as sinners, we, we push back the revelation of God. We, we hold the revelation of God in unrighteousness. We deny what God actually reveals to us. Okay? Now, there are two uh, 
aspects of revelation. Uh, one is the one we're going to look, looking at tonight, and that's general revelation. And then, then there's another branch of revelation, and, and that's special revelation. And if you want, for now, think of that as the Bible, as Scripture. It's, it's a little more than that, but, but uh, that's, that's coming down uh, the pike um, next week and, and, and subsequent weeks. Tonight, we are concerning ourselves to that revelation of God that everybody gets. Not just those who have a Bible, not just those who are within sight and sound of the preaching of the gospel, um, but, but this, is, this is true for absolutely um, everything and everyone. Now, what are the limits uh, of general revelation? Uh, Look at the quotation uh, uh, there on page 4 from the Westminster Confession again. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and uh, providence do so far uh, manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation? Now, what uh, what is the Confession trying to say? It's saying that there is a revelation in creation, there's a revelation in the things that are made, it's a revelation of God, it's true revelation, and what it reveals is true, but it's not sufficient to save. So there's a question that arises, can the person uh, who has never heard the gospel, the person who lives in the other side of the world somewhere, has never heard the gospel, um, the, 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 the pagan to whom the gospel has never come, can that person be saved? And the answer of Scripture and the answer of general revelation is, no, it cannot. It cannot save. Um, this, is, this is true revelation about God but it's not sufficient to save. Uh, now, I, I'm, I'm just going to mention the next section and, and really pass it by if I can get away with that. Uh, it's too big a topic to open, but uh, there have been those uh, who have, uh, have, have asked, can you get uh, true, saving, genuine knowledge of God uh, simply from general revelation? Can you argue for a a true knowledge of God, uh, even a saving knowledge of God from general uh, revelation? And there have been, uh, you know, there have been those who have advocated such a view, and uh, uh, I've mentioned Anselm of Canterbury there, and his so-called ontological argument, and uh, Thomas Aquinas, at least in one interpretation of Thomas Aquinas, and I'm not persuaded that that interpretation is necessarily correct, but uh, I put him down there, Thomas uh, Aquinas. And then a very famous uh, uh, 18th, 18th, uh, 19th century uh, gentleman by the name of William Paley, uh, who uh, put forth uh, the argument of somebody who finds a pocket watch uh, on the beach, Uh, and uh, has never seen a pocket watch before, but looks at it and examines it, and from its complexity has to to result. I mean, the the only conclusion when you see a pocket watch is that 
that there is a maker. It's not, it's not just something that, that just happens. Um, it argues for a maker. It argues for uh, a, a supreme being. Now, whether that's a sufficient uh, argument to argue for the existence of the one true living God is uh, uh, another matter. And uh, Reformed theology has been negative on the idea of uh, arguing for true knowledge of God, uh, the Christian God, the biblical God, simply from uh, general revelation. Now let's, uh, uh, let's change gears a little uh, and get into the Bible uh, and uh, ask ourselves, what are the uh, biblical um, testimonies to general revelation? Uh, there are some uh, important psalms here, and I mentioned three of them, Psalm 8, Psalm 19, that we read uh, at the beginning this evening, and then uh, some verses in Psalm 104. Uh, but by far and away, the most important uh, passage is uh, the opening chapters of Romans, and in particular, um, Romans 1.18 to the end of the chapter, which is a sustained polemic uh, on Paul's uh, part uh, to uh, general uh, re- revelation. And I'm going to uh, more or less now confine uh, my thoughts here to that passage in Romans 1.18 to the end of the passage. Uh, What are the means of general revelation according to Paul? And uh, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the means of general revelation are the things that have been made, the made things, the created things. Um... Uh, creation itself, uh, the, the cosmos itself, the universe itself is the, is the vehicle, the organ through which God reveals himself, discloses a, a little of his being. Now Calvin says uh, that there exists in the human mind and indeed by natural instinct some sense of deity. He calls it uh, divinitatis sensum. Uh, a sense of uh, a, a sense of deity, and, and this is true of every individual. This is true of every every person that ever has been and ever will be, no matter who they are, what language, what race, what what ethnicity, what what part of the world they uh, they live in. There is a there is a divinitatis sensum. There is a sense of the divine. Another of Calvin's uh, phrases, a seed of religion, a semen religionis, is divinely sown in us all, uh, man as man, man who lives in creation. Uh, and then uh, another quotation from, uh, from Calvin as he refers to something that uh, Paul says in Acts 17 in Athens. Now this, uh, this revelation in creation uh, is twofold. F- first of all, it is a revelation external to man, and it is a revelation within man, internal to man. So let's, let's think of the latter first. Um, there is a revelation of, cre- of creation um, that is internal to man, in, in the way that man is. The fact that man 
has the ability to sense and see and hear and reason and feel and and respond and has a sense of obligation and oughtness. Um, the, the very constitution, the fabric of man as man is a testimony uh, of God's revelation within creation that he himself is a created being. Uh, look at what Paul says uh, actually in the second chapter of Romans and he's talking about the Gentiles and talking about Gentiles now who don't have the law, they don't have the Bible, they don't have Torah, they don't have uh, the Old Testament scriptures. When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts. There is a there is a revelation of God in internal to man that testifies that testifies to his createdness so so man as man knows God as both judge and Creator, that, that knowledge is inside him. It is a, a, a semen religionis. It's a seed of religion. It's a sense of deity within the natural man. Now, this is true, and this is very important uh, here. Uh, this is true despite the fact that we may not acknowledge it. The, the fact that you acknowledge what I've just said is irrelevant. The Bible is saying it is true whether you acknowledge it or not. You may deny it. You may flat out deny it. You may, you may go red in the face and scream blue murder and say this is not so. And the Bible will simply say calmly, but it is so. And actually the fact that you're screaming blue murder, murder is testimony to the rage uh, that is within you against that seed of religion. Um, it's also true, even if you believe it's true, but you can't explain why it's true. Right? Our, our inability to explain the sense of deity that is within us is true whether we can explain it or not. This is, in a sense, not something subjective. It's only true if I feel it. It's only true if I acknowledge it. This is true objectively. It is true whether you acknowledge it or not. And it is true whether you understand it or not. Um, think back here. Uh, this is a, Paul, I think, in Romans 1 is linking this to something that Moses says right in the first uh, creation account in Genesis 1.26 uh, about, uh, that should be Genesis 1.26, not Genesis 1.16, uh, created in the image of uh, God. Uh, look at uh, Kuiper, this very famous uh, statement from Abraham Kuiper. Uh, the Dutch uh, theologian, politician, uh, journalist, uh, and theologian, and former and founder of the Free University of uh, Amsterdam, and, uh, and many other things, Abraham Kuyper. If the cosmos is the theater of revelation, in this theater, man is both actor and spectator. It, it's not just that he's... That he's um, that he's watching the revelation of God. He is himself the revelation of God. We are our existence. Yes, the way we are. That, um, 
you know, I love my dog. Don't mess with my dog. I love my dog. Uh, I love him dearly. I thank God for him. Um, I regard him. Um, my wife is much more important than my dog uh, because she's here um, somewhere. And, um, and uh, what, what am I saying? Um, I'm saying, I, I, I say to him in the evenings, this is about 11.30 at night when I get down eye to eye on the floor when he's half asleep and I'll say, I'm a human being and you are a dog. You understand that? And he wags his little tail. Um, the very fact that we are human beings is, is itself, we are actors uh, in the arena of God's revelation. Uh, Turn the page now, external to man, not just internal to man. Uh, perhaps I should add one more thought here um, that's particularly relevant and cogent, I think, in 2012, that our rationality, that we are thinking human beings is testimony to the revelation of God, that we are created beings. Um, that we can think and reason and weigh and form judgments. Um, rationalism is not a bad word, although it's become a bad word. Um, but, but the fact that we are rational as opposed to being irrational, r- r- uh, ration, that, we are, that we can form coherent arguments um, is testimony to the revelation of God. Now, let's, let's look at the other side, external to man. Uh, God gives himself visibly in created things. The universe points to its maker. Now that picture is Mount Sharp. Uh, Are you you following this? Get with the program now, people. This is a very expensive mission on the part of uh, NASA. This... uh, this uh, extraordinary, uh, this extraordinary little, 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 what is it? A robot rover, whatever it is, on Mars, taking pictures, sending them back to us. This is, uh, this is Mount Sharp, and uh, you and I are the first generation of human beings since the creation of Adam and Eve to see Mount Sharp with this sharpness and clarity. And it says, do you know what's written on Mount Sharp? Not Hollywood. (laughs) What's written on Mount Sharp is not made in China, but made by God. Right? You look at that picture. When I I saw that first picture come in at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, a few weeks ago when uh, when it landed on Mars and you're waiting for those pictures because it takes like 15 minutes for the pictures to, to get here. That in itself is mind-boggling. It said, made by God. This is part of God's creation. Now, look at what Paul has said. What's the content of Revelation? For what can be known about God, uh, Romans 1.19. That which is, uh, let me take this this understanding of it uh, that uh, Cranfield uh, uh, says, uh, that which is knowable, the knowable things, because there are some things that are not knowable, um, uh, because God is infinite. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are knowable, uh, and what are those things? And he says in verse 20, invisible attributes, creation, Mars, the planets, 
a river, a fish, a bird. Um, I was out walking the other day and I, uh, and I was looking at one of the, there was a whole flock of Canadian geese uh, that were somewhat suspicious of me. Uh, and as, uh, they, they sort of, uh, you know, lifted up their, their heads and I, I thought, are they, are they actually going to charge me or what? And, and no, they didn't. They, they took off. But it took a while to get off, you know. Uh, all this running and galumphing that they do and, 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 and they put out their wings and I, I, I watched them and I thought, isn't that extraordinary? That this plump, fat bird can actually make it off the ground? Uh, and, and actually with, with relative ease. I, I mean, you try and do it. <laughs> um, and I just thought, there's a, there's a display of the creator. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought except God? Uh, you couldn't come up with that. You know, you, you can make an aeroplane, but it's, it's not like a bird. It's not as agile as a bird and never will be as agile as a bird. Um, his invisible attributes. Yes, it's cocking a snook sort of after the fact at Immanuel Kant that the noumena actually does penetrate into the phenomena for those, those philosophy buffs among us. Um, the invisible attributes of God actually make it through into the visible world. Um, his eternal power and divine nature. That's a lot, isn't it? What can the natural man, the, the man without a Bible, the man who's never been to church, the man who's never heard of Jesus... He's living on some remote island in the, in, on the other side of the world. What can he know about God? And Paul says he can know the eternal power of God. And he can know something of the divine nature, the very essence, the, the being, the godness um, of God. A creator, who is, uh, a creator who is powerful, a creator who is eternal. Uh, verse 18 of Romans uh, 1, the wrath of God. Uh, the wrath of God. Those, those who don't have Torah, those who don't have uh, the Bible, those who don't have the Old Testament, are told in their own providence uh, of the righteous anger of God. You remember Paul's argument, you know, homosexuality is not something upon which God reveals his anger. Paul's argument is that homosexuality is, is the evidence of God's anger. That is God's anger. It's not that he will come and judge it. It is itself his judgment. He gives them up to unrighteousness. Um, notice that the seed of religion is perverted. Um, and it's perverted not in the direction of agnosticism and atheism. It's perverted in the direction of idolatry. Um, Calvin says, uh, here we may infer that the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge or factory of idols. What a, what a graphic image that is. Uh, idol, essay idolorum fabricum. Um, a forge, a factory of idols. That's what the natural man does. You know, the person who says he's an, an agnostic, he's actually an idolater. He's, he's making himself a god. He's making his reason a god. Um, he, he, the, the, it, it's, it's, you know, God doesn't believe in atheists. God doesn't believe in atheists. They're just idolaters. Um, and, and other things, uh, truthfulness, um, the creatorhood, 
righteousness and uh, justice. Uh, turn the page, goodness, wisdom, glory. You can, you can uh, uh, chase those texts later. Um, let me say something about the perspicuity uh, of general revelation. It is clearly perceived. Uh, that which God reveals is clearly perceived. No man can say to God, I'm sorry, but I never saw you. There's, there's clear perception. The, the revelation gets through. It actually gets through. It actually penetrates. It actually gets into us, into the natural man. Um, turn the page, verse 10, the result of general revelation. Uh, so what you have is implanted knowledge of God. Um, an awareness of deity, the seed of religion. Now, what is the human response to general revelation? Uh, Paul says uh, that he holds the truth um, in unrighteousness. He holds it down in unrighteousness. Um, he, uh, he suppresses it. Um, it's a bit like, uh, and, I, and I, I think it's fair... At least, I, th- I think it's fair to say it's like a, a, a Coke bottle. You know, and, and you take the top off and then you shake it. Put your thumb on the top and you shake it. You, you don't do this, of course, right? But, but your kids do this. The, 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 you, that table over there does this. <laughs> and, and you put your thumb on it and you, and you build up this pressure. You're holding this pressure down. You can feel it on your thumb. And the natural man suppresses that knowledge. He's bombarded with this revelation all around him. He may make all kinds of philosophical excuses, but all he's doing is he's holding his thumb uh, on that pressure. So look at the verbs uh, in Romans 1. Suppress, uh, did not honor or give thanks, exchanging the glory, exchanging the truth. Uh, did not see fit to acknowledge God, haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient. They give approval to evildoers. You see all those verbs uh, and descriptives there of the natural man, the response to that general revelation. Now, what is the consequence um, of uh, general revelation, top of page 11, so that they are without excuse? Isn't that a devastating conclusion? That on the day of judgment, the person, the person who's never heard of Jesus, the person who's never heard the gospel, can never say, I never knew you existed. I, 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 I never knew you were there. They are without excuse. The, the whole of creation, the whole of the created order is bombarded with the, with the, with the being uh, and, and, the, and the, uh, the essence of who God is. Um, now, um, I'm going to pass by for the uh, time constraint that's on me here um, something about the insufficiency of uh, limitations of general revelation. Um, you know, I, I, the, at the very bottom of that little section, I put it this way, the stars don't tell me Jesus loves me. Uh, the stars tell me that God is. The stars tell me God is powerful. Uh, The stars tell me that I am a created being and therefore responsible. And I'm accountable for what I do. The stars tell me that. But they don't tell me, Jesus loves me. This I know. 
For Mars tells me so. No, it doesn't say that. Only Jesus, only the Bible tells me that. And so that's the need for special uh, revelation. Now, um, turn to page 12, and uh, I'm just going to sow some seeds of thought uh, here. Um, you know, w- w- look, go, go right down to the bottom, to that German word. Isn't that a great word? This, there'll be a pop quiz next week on the spelling of this word. Agnungfungspunk, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, some of you may remember it from, from philosophy classes. Uh, it's point of contact. What's the point of contact um, with the natural man? I mean, anybody. Anybody you meet in the street. Anybody you meet on a bus or a plane or a train. What's the point of contact? How, how, can, you, how can you address this person? And the point of contact is every man knows more than they will ever admit about the existence and being of God. That's... That's a card, if I can use a, a poker metaphor in a lecture about the revelation of God. I probably can't, so let me drop that. That's, a, that's, um, that's something that you can hold up your sleeve. You know, whenever you're speaking to somebody, and he may say he's an atheist, and he may even say he's, he's, he, he, he just doesn't believe that God exists, you know more than he's prepared to acknowledge. Because he actually knows more than he's prepared to acknowledge. He actually does know God. He, he, he's actually bombarded by the revelation of God. He's just holding it down. The problem, the problem is not intellect at the end of the day. The problem is sin. The problem is sin. Um, so that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that's an important point in evangelism and uh, in uh, apologetics. Um, that, that, that you never speak to a blank slate. You're always speaking to somebody who is actually bombarded both internally and externally uh, by the revelation of the being of God. It's just that they're not willing to acknowledge it. Well, there's a, a website, uh, and uh, in addition to the church website, there's one, uh, you see it under the title of today's uh, lecture on page one, um, where uh, I'll, I'll be running a little blog about these and, answer, and maybe adding some things that I don't get time to address fully uh, here for those of you who want to follow some of these a little further. Um, uh, next week we'll continue uh, on the doctrine of revelation, but we'll be moving from general revelation to special revelation. And, and in particular, we'll be talking about the nature of Scripture. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for these, uh, these truths, truths that have become so meaningful to us now that... Uh, Some of us lived in your cosmos, in your universe, without ever acknowledging uh, that you even existed. Uh, We walked in the pride of our minds and in the idolatry of our hearts, uh, denying your very existence. Uh, When we were surrounded uh, by uh, the revelation of who you are and what you are, Uh, We thank you, Lord, that the the heavens declare the glory uh, of God, that that day by day and night by night this uh, knowledge is given to us. And now now that we have the scriptures like spectacles that have sharpened this uh, revelation and and made it so much clearer to us now, uh, we thank you that we live in a world 
that says, even in this fallen world, uh, even, even in the chaos and the disorder, we, we see ruined castles all around us, but, but we still see the castle that once was, and we anticipate the rebuilding of that castle, the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So bless us, we pray, and we ask uh, this in Jesus' name. Amen.